so I'm, I'm excited to be here. I, I really feel that God's given me something to speak about. And um, the first thing that, again, you can see that the subject that we're going to address today is going to be love. And I pray that just as you hear that, that you haven't turned me off already. Because I understand that we're in church, and some of you may say, you know what, I've got this love thing figured out. I've got a relationship with God, and this is going to probably just be a repeat of what I already know. And so I, I first of all, ask that you not do that, because you may say, hey, Chris, I got the love thing down, because really, the first verse that I learned was John 3.16, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And John 3.16 actually takes me back to, to a message that I heard Steve Laughlin preach uh, to Elevate Youth last year. And he shared a video of Tim Tebow. Just out of curiosity, who knows who Tim Tebow is? Okay, so a good handful of people. So Tim Tebow is a professional athlete. He at one time uh, played quarterback in the NFL. Now he plays minor league baseball. But back in 2008, he was a quarterback for the Florida Gators. And he, uh, they, they had a very good season that year. And he was known for on his eye black writing scriptures. And all throughout the year, he had Philippians 4.13, which is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so they had a successful season. They made it to the championship game. And when they got there, he told the coach, hey, I, I feel led to put a different scripture on my eye black. And he put John 3.16. And they played the game. They were successful. They won, celebrating the national championship. And a few days after celebrating the championship, word came out that Google had communicated and shared that on the night of the championship game, 94 million Googled John 3.16. So as elementary as it might seem for some people, perhaps one of those 94 million people are here today. And I'd be remiss if I didn't take an opportunity to let that person know, if that is you, can I just tell you that God loves you. And that he died on the cross so that you might have life. He took on your sins, and you're going to have an opportunity before we leave today to respond to that. And I pray that you invite God into your heart and enjoy that love and that relationship that he has for you. And then secondly, again, I understand that I'm speaking to more than just perhaps people that don't know the love of God, that there's people that do know the love of God. We've heard Pastor Sean preach messages, and his communication at times has been, hey, it may be simple, but it's not easy. And so you may look at this as a simple subject, but sometimes love is not always easy. It was a few weeks ago that I was putting together in my garage an inverted table. Uh, anybody know what an inverted table is? So I got a couple hands. So my chiropractor, Link, let me just say this. Let me preface what I'm going to say. Getting old stinks is all I got to say. And so, common maintenance, my chiropractor, and he said, you know, you might benefit from an inverted table. So what you do is you, it, it kind of leans you back and releases the pressure off your spine and things like that and creates uh, some, some stretching or whatever. So I got an inverted table and I'm putting it together in my garage and I'm following all the instructions and I set the pin so I don't go too far and all that stuff. And then I get to the end and it says, for first time use, it would be helpful to have a spotter. And I thought to myself, that is absolutely ridiculous. 
Simply because, one, I've already lost my man card because I followed the instructions. You know, guys don't do that. They just put it together. Oh, we'll figure it out. So I'd already lost my man card, and I'm like, I don't need a spotter. We're fine. So I get locked in there, and I go back, and everything's going like it's supposed to. And let me just say, by the time it was over, I was hanging upside down in my garage. Um, so I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, first of all, how am I going to get out of this? But that wasn't my first thought. My first thought was in the instructions where it said, hey, it may be helpful to have a spotter. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to get out of this? And I've got a couple options. One is I can start banging on the wall because I was close to a wall and have my wife come out and see me like that. And I was thinking, <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, so I'm sitting there and understand they recommend that you're only supposed to be on this like a few minutes because they can have negative effects if you're kind of hanging that way too long. Uh, and so I'm sitting there and my mind is rushing, uh, mainly just because of all the blood that's rushing to my head. Uh, and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, what, how am I going to get out of this? And so finally, I'm just like, I, I just got to get out of this. And so I'm, I'm working my right leg and I, I finally get my right leg out from being, you know, pinned. And so of course, then I'm just hanging there with one leg just, and so Finally, I, I, I work the second leg out, and gravity takes over, and I just fall on my head. Um, so uh, the, you're like, what's the moral to this story is, listen, let me spot you, or you might fall on your head when it comes to love. So um, we're going to dive right in, and we're going to talk in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, but in the book of 1 Corinthians, I want to kind of lay the groundwork a little bit on what we're going to talk about, and that is to give a quick summary of 1 Corinthians. Now, understand, this letter was written by Paul in year 55, and he had established the church of Corinth back in year 51. So this is a very young group of believers that are in Corinth right now, and he's on his third missionary journey in Ephesus, and he's writing to the church of Corinth. And you can see that in the first four chapters, he's simply addressing division in the church. And he's addressing those issues. Again, new believers, and they're trying to get all that stuff figured out. And then he goes on to talk about more issues that the church is dealing with. And then he starts answering questions. Because, again, he was kind of their overseer, the church planner, and he's trying to provide them with information on this. And so um, he starts addressing issues on marriage and, and idols and, and the Lord's Supper. And then we start into uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. He gets into spiritual gifts. And, and then 13, which is going to be our context today, he starts talking about the subject of love. Now, if you look in the Bible, obviously our Bible was translated from Greek and there's three different Greek words that reference love throughout the Bible. Um, and so four unique forms of love is one, eris, which is more of the romantic love that the Bible is talking about. You've got storge, which is family love. You've got philia, uh, which is intimate love. And then you've got agape, which is the highest form of love that there is. Agape love defines God immeasurable and comparable incomparable love for mankind. Agape love is perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, and pure. And it was through this divine love that Jesus Christ lived out his life and died. And so when we read that John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, it was through that form of agape love. And just to kind of speak to that a little bit more, a little bit more let me direct your attention to the screen above for a quick video. 
So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this actually is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's gonna feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day, it was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachma. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another.
So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. All right, so agape love. So I guess the question would be, so how do we get to that point? How do we get to the point where we're operating in that same sort of love, agape love? We see in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 where it says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So it's through the Holy Spirit. And we see also in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 through 10 where it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So when we make that uh, profession and we actually invite Christ into our life, it opens the door for the Holy Spirit to be at work, and obviously through the Holy Spirit is where we can kind of see the love of God operate. Now, granted, if I took the time to go through all that, that's a whole other multitude of sermons. And so I, I can't unpack all of that in the Holy Spirit and how that works. But the one thing that I will say is I'm going to give you some homework. And it's just really, if you want to kind of unpack that a little bit more regarding the Holy Spirit and how that transfers when it comes to love and things like that, I, I direct you to, to start in Acts chapter 1 where the Holy Spirit was first poured out. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where it talks about the spiritual gifts. Go to Galatians chapter 5 where it talks about the, the, the fruits that come from the Holy Spirit and things like that. So that's your homework. I don't take pride in giving you homework unless you're a teacher. And now I'm putting it right back on you. Um, all right, good. You're still engaged. That's good. All right, so um, let's go into the scripture that we're going to talk about today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 reads, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and although I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love... I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my blood to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And then reads, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in faith. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, I already know what you're thinking about that second passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 4 through 8. You're thinking, well, you left out a component of the verse because it's supposed to start with dearly beloved. We are gathered here today in the presence of God. I mean, seriously, that verse so often is associated with marriages and things like that. But I really want to bring our focus back to uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1 through 3 is... When we're looking at these scriptures, there's a lot of good activity and actions that's mentioned. I mean, if you go through the scripture, you see, speak with tongues of men and angels. That's a good thing. Gift of prophecy, understanding all mysteries and knowledge. Have all faith. Move mountains. That's a good thing. Bestow all my gifts to the poor. Be burned. You know, those are all good things that you're making. But the point that Paul is trying to make is not... 
having those things disconnected from love, it has no value. And so the first point that I really want to drive today is one is there are no shortcuts to love. When I look at this scripture, the thing that jumps out to me more than anything is the word nothing. Now, when I look at that word, you have to understand my personality is when I walk into a room, the things that gets my attention are the things that are messed up. If it's not broke, I'm not going to try and fix it. My, my attention is going to go to the things that need to be addressed. And so my word is going to go to this nothing because I'm going to say, hey, there, there's a problem. And then I'm going to try and work backwards from there to come to the solution. And I can see even people looking at this scripture and saying, okay, well, I'm just going to try and reverse engineer this. And again, Paul's not trying to discount these actions. He's just trying to get our attention with this strong language so that he can create a dynamic where he can start to focus on the real thing, which is love. And the reason it's important not to reverse engineer is because a lot of times you start working backwards with an expectation of what the outcome is going to be. I was thinking of a, um, a guy, Marcus Buckingham. He worked for Gallup Polls. And he was doing a study on marriage. And he had already these preconceived notions that, hey, successful and unsuccessful marriages, I think one of the things that probably contribute to a successful or unsuccessful is perhaps couples that fight a lot. And so what he did is he got 100 couples and he had them keep track of how often they fought, and then he followed back up within five or ten years later, and it was really just to prove his theory. He was going to say, okay, how many times did you fight? Now let's look back five or ten years. You know, who's still together? How many have been successful? How many have been unsuccessful? And so what he discovered through his study is that successful and unsuccessful couples can argue a lot. What he determined is what makes the difference is what happens in between. And so it just blew everything up. And so it's pointless to try and reverse engineer something like this on nothing. Because the truth is, Paul has already identified what the answer is, which is love. The other reason that we not, need not to focus on nothing is because then we simply take on the mindset that we're playing not to lose. You know, I'm just trying to avoid being nothing and profiting nothing. And we're losing the focus of where our focus needs to be. And so if we start playing not to lose, we're almost to a degree playing like in football, prevent defense. Anybody familiar with what prevent defense is? Prevent defense is designed simply to say, hey, We've got more points than you right now. We're winning. You can do everything that you want to do. We just want to keep you from scoring. So really, that's a way of, of really playing not to lose. I've learned many, many years ago is that the only thing that prevent defense accomplishes is preventing you from winning. If you don't believe me, just ask the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> You're up 10. With 10 minutes to go and you lose by 11. As Andy Reid would say, how about those? Jeez. Yes, sir. Good, you're still engaged. All right. So the key is to not play with the mindset of not to lose. But it's to play to win. It's to play with that mindset of love. Because the positive thing is we've got victory in Jesus. 
when we have that relationship with him, when we invite him into our life, that we've got that victory. I don't know about you, but I've read the back of the book. We win. And we don't have to play with that mindset of not to lose, but we can walk and play in victory. And the way that we're going to do that is John chapter 15 and verse 13, where it says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. If you're going to operate with this agape love, you need to be all in. You can't have a shortcut to love, but you can be all in just by having that relationship with God and walking with him. Point number two, we need to be relational instead of transactional. We need to be relational instead of transactional. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, He who does not... Love does not know God, for God is love. Again, if we go back to that scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, there's a lot of good things that are mentioned there. And the focus that Paul is trying to bring is that there is a disconnect between love and the action that's being done. Well, if our love comes from that relationship with God... And that action then flows out of that relationship with God. And Paul is trying to bring our attention to, but if you've got this action, but you don't have love, there's bigger problems. He's not discounting the action itself. He's just trying to say, there's a disconnect. And if you look at that scripture, it says that what? You do all these good things, I and nothing. He didn't say anything about the acts themselves. By all means, if you're doing those things, continue to do all those things. But he says, if you're doing it without love, I am nothing and I profit nothing. And the reason he's trying to say that is because, because you can do all those things and those are all great. But if you're not loving, then you're not operating through that relationship with me and pushing out. And so those actions are great, but there's a disconnect between our relationship and we need to address that. We've got to be relational instead of, instead of transactional. So you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm sorry. What is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9 where it reads, God is faithful who has called you into a fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, if we're called into a fellowship and relationship with him, all of those actions should be coming out of that relationship. And it's important, even as believers, that we remain extremely sensitive to this. Because let me tell you some of the things that I have struggled with, even through my relationship with God. I am extremely goal-oriented, and I like to check off boxes. And so even the things that I do to help nurture and build my relationship with God, if I'm not careful, can become transactional instead of relational. Even to the point of, of prayer time. I remember even uh, years ago when I you know, first became a believer and I was growing in God. Is I would follow this format of Acts. We begin our prayer with adoration. Telling God how great he is. And he would, we would then move to C which was confession. And we would confess things to God. And then T we would move to thanksgiving. And then at the end S was supplication. And, and you know we would just kind of go through that format. And if we're not careful... We're losing the relationship component of it, and we're just really simply following a formula. And so we've even got to be careful in the prayer time to, to not 
be so focused on the transaction as opposed to the relationship. So now there's times that I will just sit there in the presence of God and just listen. Because that's the way communication works anyway, right? We both communicate back and forth to each other. Some days I'll just sit there and I'll just pray glory to him the whole time. Some days I'll just pray over specific needs because I don't want to get too caught up in the transactional. Also, the daily bread, you know, those things they put out, again, where you can read the Bible through in a year. There is nothing wrong with those. If you do that, great. I had to stop it because it became transactional. I would read the chapters that it told me to read, and it was simply just to check a box. And so I could say I read the Bible at the end of the year. I'd close the Bible, and I was so focused on other things, I couldn't tell you what I just read. That's transactional. Even when you come to church, it's Sunday, it's time to come to church. Are we here just to check a box? Are we actually desiring to be in the presence of God and to love on each other? Worship, is it a spectator sport or is it a participation sport? I realize worship's not a sport, but you understand the analogy there. And even serving those in need and things like that. I was turned on to a podcast by John Maxwell. He was sitting down with this guy named Simon Sinek. And he was talking about his book, Infinite Games. And I thought this was relevant to what we're talking about today, so I kind of want to bring that. Is he was talking about how society today really operates in a finite way instead of an infinite way. Let me explain what that means. It's finite. If you're operating in that way, you have known players, a fixed set of rules, agreed upon objectives. So for example, look at a sports team, baseball. You've got a fixed number of players that are on the field. You've got a beginning, middle, and an end. And then at the end of it all, you've got a winner and a loser. And he was talking about how the value is really more of operating in an infinite way to where he says that he's got known and unknown players. You've got changeable rules. And the objective is to stay in the game as long as possible, not winning or losing. Now, that sounds a lot more like life, don't it? But really in society and in culture, I mean, we go to work. We're graded on performance. We've got a clock in. We've got a clock out. You know, so he was talking about that even from the, the business perspective. And he used the analogy is for many years he was growing in business. But his level of trust began to suffer because he was working so hard to establish relationships and everybody else was just working him for business. They became so focused on the profit instead of the people. And I think that's even what, what Paul is talking about a little bit here is we have lost the people mindset and the love for people and the focus on that and it has become transactional. But can I tell you this? If you grasp this concept today, your life will change. If you can truly grab a hold of this and understand that, hey, while we're here is not being transactional, but it's about relationship. It's understanding that relationship with God is important. And even what we talked about, loving those people around us. If we can grasp that, we can change our life. If we change our life, the more likely you're going to change the life of those people that you're connected with. Your families, your wife, your spouse. Before you know it, you're connecting with your neighbor more than ever before. 
You're going to begin to change the lives of the people around you. And it all starts with you first being relational instead of transactional. So the third point that I want to make is really more of a question to all of us today. And that is, is there a hole in your love boat? Yep, I just said that. The love boat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had to make it stick, so you'll be singing that for the rest of the day. You are welcome. But is there a hole in your love boat? John chapter 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Matthew 22, 37 and 38 says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Matthew 22, 39 through 40 says, And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the question that I have for you is when I say, is there a hole in your love boat? That can really be answered best by the people around you and asking them, do they feel the love? That's how you can determine whether or not there's a hole in your love boat is asking the people around you, do they feel the love? It's been many, many years ago that I kind of grasped this concept. And we're looking at these scriptures, and if we look at 39, 40, where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Look at your family dynamic. Who is your closest neighbor? Your spouse. And this church firmly believes in this mindset simply because what? We just had an XO conference. We are feeding into marriages because we know the importance of that. We know the importance of that relationship and love and things like that. My wife... Um, wrote me a book about, what was it? Not this Valentine's Day, but last Valentine's Day. There it is, right there. I have a book written about me, just so you know. I mean, is that awesome or what? Ladies, the bar has been raised, I know. And uh, you can kind of look through here. Only God knew what was coming. I mean, how awesome is that? We got story time over here right after church. Anybody wants to read it? But again, those things are important. We're trying to, you know, speak into other. We want that love to grow at Exo Marriage Conference again. If you missed it, if you missed it, like they talk about in the announcements, there is a Marriage on the Rock class that we're about to start by Jimmy Evans, an eight-week class starting Thursday, March 12th. Normally not a big fan of getting out your phones and playing on them, but if you want to get out and register for that right now, by all means, go and do that. I promise we, the leadership team has already been through that. Very quality material. You will be blessed by that. Love on your spouse, your family, your children. Kingdom parenting. We just spent many weeks in the kids area talking about kingdom parenting, loving on kids, understanding how that dynamic works with God. We're loving on families. And then, of course, loving actually your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, your common acquaintance. Are they feeling the love? I was on a plane, uh, it was probably about 15, 15 plus years ago. And um, I was in a season of my life, I was extremely busy. I was really burning the candle at both ends. 
And I would wake up at, I just graduated from college, so I had college debt and things like that I was taking care of. And I would throw papers from 4 to 6 a.m. Once I got done throwing papers, I would go to my full-time job at 7.30. I would work a full day. And that was also the time that I was working as a part-time youth pastor. So I was just, and that was my nights and weekends. So anyway, I'm doing all those things. And uh, I'm actually on the plane because I'm, I'm flying out interviewing for a job for a full-time youth pastor so that my schedule could slow down a little bit. I was just, I was just exhausted. I was tired. Um, and I remember, you know, pretty much just being very non-communicational to the person beside me. Um, not rude, but just, I'm just tired and I just kind of wanted to rest. And so anyway, we get closer to our landing spot and I, I take out my Bible uh, I don't remember if I had to speak or something. I was just reviewing some notes. But I pulled it out, and the lady noticed, and so she started to talk to me and kind of get my story a little bit. And I started to share that story with her, and she asked me a, a very interesting question. She asked me why I didn't share Jesus with her. And I was kind of caught off guard because again I'm, I'm tired I feel very justified of why I didn't and in my mind I didn't say this verbally but I was thinking you don't know me and I was thinking trying to process that and of course I listened and you know you're, you're right you know I definitely should should make a point to do that or whatever and I went back to my my uh, room hotel room and I was just praying about it and I really was like God what are you trying to show me and what I've felt like she communicated to me that day was, I'm not feeling the love. Because her communication was simply, listen, I'm a believer, and I know God, but what if there was somebody beside you that didn't? Then what? You missed your opportunity to show the love. Fast forward to six weeks ago. I'm in my office having a meeting. We get done with the meeting and the guy's just talking about random stuff. Just He's just going through a lot with life and just a variety of things and you know, possibly moving and just, just a bunch of stuff. And right before we got up to conclude the meeting, I just stopped as right before we, we stood up and I asked him, I said, can I pray for you? And he stopped and he looked at me and then he looked down and he put his face in his hands and began to weep. And he got so emotional about it that he couldn't even answer me. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to take that as a yes. And I just began to pray for him. There wasn't anything spectacular about the prayer of what I did, but he was just feeling the love. How many people are we coming across on an everyday basis that we're not intentional about showing the love? Hey, it's not convenient. I get that. But God has called us. With that relationship, we have so much to give through the love of Jesus Christ. As the worship team comes back, I got a, a question for you and it's really more of a challenge, and that is more than likely... We probably are in three different camps here tonight, or today. Three different camps. 
One is, perhaps we are one of those 94 million that don't know John 3.16 and don't have that relationship with God. If that is you, I would love to pray for you before we leave here today. Or two, you're a believer and you still just, it would be helpful to get some prayer. Or three, God is wanting you to pray for someone. But regardless of what camp you fall in, the first two, you might need to say, hey, I need to feel some love. Or the third one, God is calling you to show some love. So if we could just stand up all over the place today. And, and I'm just going to pray, one, that you guys just lean into that message of knowing that, you know what? There's no shortcuts to love. And that God is calling us to be relational and not transactional. And also that God is calling us to show the love. God created you on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose today that you can walk in and receive is, you know what? I'm going to be the light to those around me and I'm going to show the love. If we could, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes across the whole place. And I want to speak first to those people that perhaps you're in this place and you don't have that relationship with God. Can I encourage you that God loves you and he cares about you and he wants to be part of your life. And you can make that commitment today just by saying, Lord Jesus, I want you in my heart. And I'm happy to pray that prayer with you. And if you're here today, can I just ask you, could you just raise your hand this morning? If that's you, I, I, want, I don't want to take for granted that someone's not here that needs and wants that relationship with him. If you could just raise your hand so that we can pray. So if you're here and that's you, and let's all do this together. Let's pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I accept you into my heart. I receive the price you paid for me. And I receive the grace that you've shown. I welcome you and accept everything that you have for me. I receive your salvation today. God, I pray for everybody that's here right now. Lord, you know exactly where we're at. God, you knew three weeks ago who was going to be here this morning. God, but you have a special, special word for each and everybody here. And I pray as we come through and worship this one last time, God, I pray that they would just be open and receptive to what you would say to them. God, speak to our hearts in a way that only you can. For we love you and we know that you love us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship again.